Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game. Thanks for joining me today. I'm your host, Steve Kramer of the Coach's Edge. On this episode, Larry DeSempler joins the show. He spent the majority of his coaching career at the Division I college level. He's been associate head coach at Cleveland State. He's been an assistant at Rutgers, Kent State, Eastern Michigan. He was a head coach at Concordia in Ann Arbor. He was an assistant coach at Spring Arbor College. He even did some high school girls basketball coaching as well. And he's currently the commissioner of the Crossroads League. And to top it all off, we're from the same hometown. Uh, so very cool, small basketball world. And as we dig into this episode, you'll find that no matter what we touch on, whether it's advice to coaches, whether it's defensive consistencies, whether it's you know coaching a lesser talented team and some tips for how you can get the most out of them, you'll find that everything dives back into and comes back to the relationships that we have with our players and how much of what Coach DeSempler talks about in this episode not only applies to basketball, but it applies to life and putting the people that we work with in a position to succeed well after the basketball has stopped bouncing. So thank you to Coach DeSempler for taking the time to be on the Coach's Edge podcast. We hope that you find it beneficial. If you did, positive rating, review goes a long way. I'd appreciate it. I know that. And uh, thank you for taking the time. Let's get to the show. And we are live. I'd like to give a warm Coach's Edge welcome to Coach D, Larry DeSempler to the Coach's Edge podcast. Can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on the show. Oh, always good to spend time with good people. How many Unionville guys get to talk on a podcast, right? Man, not, not very many. I think my my dad has been on one and uh, you're, you're number two. So that's, that's it. It's a short list. <laughs> <laughs> coach, I mean, can I call you Coach Larry? When people call me coach, I always take it as a compliment. So um, anyway, you got a ton of basketball experience over the years, um, you know, playing, coaching at, you know, every level, running basketball camps. Uh, so there's a lot of different directions that we could go with this episode. But before we, we dive into it, could you just introduce yourself to our listeners? <clears throat> well, I'm just a son of an old farmer, man. I'm just a guy who got really fortunate and, um, um, I, I got to play, you know, like you, um, when my high school career was over, I got to play, I was going to Saginaw Valley initially. Um, I tell this story often. <clears throat> uh, I played with this, these, th th my teammates were so much better than I was. I knew on the very first open gym, I was in over my head <clears throat> and because I, I, and, and people thought on the first play that I had, I got as the point guard. I caught an outlet pass. I took one dribble and I fired a pass on a full court layup going to my teammate, Robert Goggins. And Goggins was this six foot five yoked out muscular guy from Flint. And, 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 and as soon as I threw it, I, I dropped my head and turned around and started to run back. Cause I just airmailed it. Like I thought that thing's going to hit like the flag. I threw it so high. I was so jacked up to play and trying to play fast with these guys. And, and, and I guess, right, I didn't know it because I wasn't looking, but my teammate said Goggins went back, caught it behind his head with his left hand and dunked it so hard and the place went nuts and everybody thought I was sweet. They were like, oh, he knew what he was doing. I was like, oh, my God, these guys, there's no way. So 
I was, I was like my son. I was, uh, I wish I was still the same. I was uh, about six foot one ish and I weighed about 155 pounds. So I was really thin and uh, just knew I needed to be stronger. And so the coaching staff said, let's, let's red shirt. Let's get you on the weights. We had a, just an okay team, but we had a big freshman class. Long story short, um, I wasn't good enough. I knew I wasn't good enough. Um, we played Spring Arbor. Um, they had a little chunky point guard named Trent Allen, who has passed away now for about 10 years. And Trent was probably the main reason why I went to Spring Arbor. Um, he was just one of the most unique individuals. Um, and I'm just so thankful uh, for my time. Just, just like you, you know, my career, I wish my career was as good as yours, Steve. You had a tremendous career at, at Hope and um, fun to follow you, even though, right, um, you're in your stage of life. I was in my stage of life and we get busy. And, but anytime a Unionville guy was doing good, um, it was fun to watch and fun to follow. And as you know, probably people on your podcast may or may not know, your dad is one of my favorite humans in the world. Um, he would tell you that, um, I think he said it many times, he would say, man, slip saved my life. Um, and, and I would say just the opposite. I'd say he uh, just, you were just a crying baby uh, back in the day. And uh, I would scoop your dad up and we'd go down to the local park or the high school gym and uh, get a chance to play some basketball. And um, just really just on top of all those your dad has um you know you would always shown out to me and in your mom especially too right like so misty's brother was my teammate in high school you know bear man james was my teammate my center uh and loved you know loved that guy again we're, we have the uniqueness of growing up in unionville and being usa patriots and i i think everybody has pride in their high school but um there's something really special about USA and I'm thankful for it every day of my life. I'm thankful for it. So from there, I went on, I got, I was very fortunate to, uh, I was a young head coach. I uh, started off at age 23 at Concordia college in Ann Arbor, uh, way in over my head as a head coach, got to do that job for four years. There's kind of a, there's a couple of times my dad, when I left Saginaw Valley state, my dad said, wait a minute, you're going to leave a school that's paying for your education to go play basketball at a school that you're going to have to pay for your education. And I said, yeah, that's kind of right. And he's just like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and that was the end of that conversation. Um, and then when I, when I was uh, finishing up, I had taken the, the coaching and teaching job at Jackson Northwest, which is kind of funny because we're back here in Jackson. My wife is now teaching and coaching at Jackson Northwest. So it's kind of come full circle for us. But I was hired to be a math teacher and a um, boys varsity basketball coach and a girls uh, freshman basketball coach and the JV girls softball coach. And the total package back in 1991 was like dollars $45,000, right? For a young guy coming out of high school teaching, that was pretty good. And then um, I got a call. Actually, my, my dad, I was working a basketball camp at Eastern Michigan. My dad showed up at the camp. And I thought for sure somebody died, right? I thought, oh my gosh, grandma passed or is mom okay? And he's like, hey, listen, I got your church clothes in the car. You've got an interview at Concordia College uh, in tomorrow at two o'clock. And I went 
So I, I had to go and ask Gary Waters, who was actually the guy who was running the camp at Eastern Michigan, if I could uh, go and interview for this job. And so they interviewed me and gave me the job offer and the job paid $16,000. <laughs> and my dad said, you're going to leave a job that's paying you 44000 to take a job. And it was a one-year interim deal. They told me right up front, we'll give you this job for one year, doing a national search. The, the former head coach, Chuck Berger, had gone to Alaska to teach in high school, went back up to Alaska, which again, raises everybody's eyebrows. And um, so I did it. I, I said, why? Hey, man, I'm 23. Why would I not? And they kept me on for four years. I got to meet Gary Waters and Ben Braun at Eastern Michigan during that time. And then... Um, in 1995, we were out at the Seattle uh, Final Four, and Ben and I were having lunch, and Ben said, why don't you come over and be my administrative assistant, which is now the DOBO, the Director of Basketball Operations. And, um, I said, sure. So I was going to be a GA and do some work there and um, quit my job at Concordia. This was right after I got married. My wife wasn't that thrilled about me quitting my $16,000 a year job while she was making $17,000 as a Lutheran school teacher down in Monroe, but it took us on a great journey. We went to, uh, we, we, we beat Duke uh, in that first round of uh, 1996 uh, in the tournament, lost to UConn in the second round, which had Ray Allen on it. And then um, Gary got the job at Kent State. I went with him to Kent State and we went out to Rutgers and and we came back and finished up our career at Cleveland State. And uh, four years ago, or I guess four and a half years ago, I became the commissioner of uh, this Crossroads League. So there you go. That was probably a longer intro. Never let an old coach get get a time to just have the mic to himself, Steve. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I should know better than that. I haven't, I haven't do some right. these, uh, enough of these podcasts. But, uh, you know, it's, it's worth sharing just because everybody has a different journey. And, you know, for you to be able to give some details on, you know, some of the decisions and you're just getting married and you work in a basketball camp and your dad comes and, you, you know, you're you're giving up, you know, money that, you know, hey, I can I can teach and I can coach high school basketball. And like I could do this for 40 years if I wanted to. But you really wanted to be a college coach and, and you're following that that vision and, and that dream that you had for yourself. And uh, so, I mean, that's why I like to, you know, if coaches want to share for 10, 15 minutes, do your thing. Um, that's, I've added that. <laughs> go for it. Go for it. So as we were emailing back and forth, um, you talked a little bit in one of your paragraphs about coaches, particularly new coaches and being, I don't know if concerned is the right word, but making sure that they're focusing their time and their energy on the right things and that it's not just being on the court and on the fundamental things, but also the off court, the values, the team stuff. Can you dig into to that and give advice to our coaches who are listening and thinking, man, we got to, we want to win. We, we need to be successful. Um, but really making sure that you're being successful in the most important areas. Well, that's a great, I think it's um our, our world and, and everything about our world is about winning, right? And John Gordon had a, has a great statement that says, um, winning is always our goal, just never our purpose. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge John Gordon fan and I'm a pretty avid reader. 
So I, I do try to consume a lot of information when it comes to stuff. And where I've come back to, uh, Joe Ehrman writes a book called Inside Out Coaching. Um, <clears throat> and Joe, Joe's actually a football, a former football guy, but he tells a great story. And he tells the difference about between transactual coaching and transformational coaching. And uh, it's funny because the guy I worked for for so many years um, carried both of those. And, and I think it has different levels. So when you're a youth coach versus a junior high coach versus the freshman coach, JV coach, varsity coach, I think there's different levels of, of all of it. There's different levels of certain acceptance. But if you're in this for transactional reasons, right, you do what I need you to do as a coach so I can be successful as a coach is probably the probably the reason why most people do coach most most of our coaches get into coaching for a lot of times because they were really good players and they want to stay attached to the game and so they keep doing it and and they to to understand the importance of how transformational a coach can be is probably one of the things that misses and what i mean by that is right it's easy to play the most talented player like so AAU has become this, this uh, entity where we just try to collect as many talented players as we can and let them go play. And, and there's a value to that. I don't, I, don't, I don't take AAU as being a complete disadvantage because you get a chance to see talented players play together, but it isn't really about development. So when you think about the overall structure of anything, right, we would always say from um, April to September is all about you, the individual player. What you do right now, Steve, is helping young men and women get better at the game, right? Work, challenge, get better, learn the game, understand the game, spend the time to get better. That's ideal. Where, where we sometimes miss it then is that once we transition out of September or October and we start to get into November, November is all team time which also means if it's all team time, it also means that there means you're gonna have to sacrifice for each other. And John wrote another book with somebody, maybe Mike Smith, a former coach, that says he went in the locker room first. And I, I recommend that to every young coach. Like if you're not paying attention to what goes on in the locker room or um, really paying attention. I, my daughter is, is coaching out in Iowa right now and, and she's an assistant coach for both um, uh, the, the volleyball program and basketball program. And I say, Abby, I know this sounds crazy, but this statement is you have to pay attention to everything. And she's like, well, what do you mean by everything? You know, like, what? like yeah, pay attention, watch body language, right? See how kids re respond and react. See if kids are look looking you in the eye or not looking at you. And she's like, well, dad, these kids don't look you in the eye anymore. And I go, yeah, but that's part of your journey is to help them. You can't expect them to be right. You're starting at a they're going to try to get them to Z and you've got to help that process along. And where many coaches miss it, in my opinion, right. And is, is we miss that locker room. We miss that intentionality about growth from the, the mindset to the work ethic, to the skill development, right? It was Ray Allen who said, you got to learn to master the mundane. Kids don't want to master the mundane anymore. Right? They I use this example. I was training some young kids, um, in Avon, where, where we were living before, seventh graders. And we do the mic and drill every day. Right? We're going to do the mic and drill every day. But we did the mic and drill every day in college. 
So, you know, my, my boss was an old school guy. And yes, did our college kids hate doing the mic and drill to some degree? Sure. Right. But it became part of the routine. And, and I was fortunate enough to play or coach against Bam Adebayo when I was at Cleveland State. He was at Kentucky. And I watched Bam Adebayo. And Bam Adebayo was a pro long before he was a pro, right? He had the trainer working him out individually from the rest of the team. He was stretching on his own, right? He came out with the gold chains on and, um, you know, signing autographs while the rest of the team was actually getting ready to play. And, and Bam didn't, you know, he didn't take pregame that serious. He didn't, it wasn't. And then he came out and he had a nice game, scored 20 points against us. We had a very competitive game. We ended up losing by about seven. And, you know, Bam, you could just tell Bam was on his way. And, and what the stuff he was doing was very, very average. Now, fast forward to game seven or game five. I forget which it was. It was an elimination game. Bam's in his fourth or fifth year uh, playing for Miami. Um, and I think this is when they were in the bubble. So a couple of years ago. And I'm there, you know, you know how the announcers start the game or start, you know, and they're doing their stuff. They're kind of out there on the court and you can see what's going on behind them. Bam Adebayo, who's making $125 million, is doing the mic and drill like his life depended on it. And, and I remember grabbing my phone real quick and clipping it. And I took it back to these little seventh grade kids, right? This little seven, I'm training a bunch of seventh grade kids, right? I've got four guys playing in the NBA, but I'm, I'm trying to impart some wisdom to these young guys. And I'm, and I'm using this as a technique to say, Here's, here's why. Look at this guy. You know how much money this guy makes? Right? You're trying to reach kids where they are today. And so it's small detail stuff about how do you learn to do those individual things? And then you have to couple it in with you got to get those same people united for the same cause. So April to October, man, get better. Grind, get the work in, put the time in, sweat, right? Put in more than anybody else. But then when it can you make the transition to November where now everything you just did, you may have to sacrifice for the good of the team. I, I can give you one more quick story. I'm sorry. This is no, please this do. Is so Go typical. For yes, sir. Um, Kenny, Kenny Carpenter was a six foot five point guard. We recruited out of Detroit, came to play for us um, as a freshman. Um, I think he made three threes his freshman year. Really nice player. He's still playing professionally overseas. Um, made it just really worked himself into being a great player. So obviously shooting the ball was, was a limitation. And so we set up a schedule that his goal was then he was going to make 20,000 threes, make 20,000 threes over a 12 week period. We had 12 weeks where the kids came back to school, were on campus in the summer. So they're lifting, they're doing our individual workouts, but this was his off campus routine. And I mean, not off campus, but off, off schedule routine. These were his, his shots on his own. Right. None of what we did in our individual workouts counted. He had to get 20,000 makes. I made him take a picture of the gun with how many makes were in there. And then he would send it to me and we just kept a log. And so the goal was 20. He ended up making about 22,000. And according to him, he says our machine was broke. So he probably made about 30,000 in his mind because he says they don't count all the makes. Right. <laughs> so any of us that have used the gun, we know, we know that's probably accurate. It might be off a few. And so he starts the season out the next season his sophomore year and he starts the season three for 33 from the arc and and he after the game he's he's in tears because gary had just told him he's like listen man i don't need you shooting threes stop shooting the ball right and, and he was devastated he was devastated and he's in my office and we're talking and 
And he's like, coach, you know how much work I put in. And I go, hey, man, I said, what I want to remind you of that, what you're trying to make up for is the sins of the past, right? Like, just because you put in this amount of work today doesn't mean you're ready to reap those rewards yet. You might need another whole 25,000 or maybe you needed 50,000, right? But if you get so dissuaded by the, the fact that you're not seeing the immediate success, then, then if you let it affect you to, the, to stop your process, then you're going to end up finding failure, not finding success. You, otherwise, you just get lucky, right? You might as well then you go ahead and play the lotto, right? Like you're just trying to get lucky. The idea of process is more than what the actual result is. And when you focus on process, you, you end up having, you, you, the byproduct of it is just success, right? So, man, I took that, I took that question in a whole different angle, right? <laughs> you went to, to talking about helping young people, but I go back to young coaches helping your guys stay focused on the process and not be as worried about the result. Mm-hmm. All of us coaches say, right, start with the end in mind. It's a great statement, right? Start with the end in mind. But look at some of the best teams. I mean, University of Michigan is really a pretty cool example because there's a lot of people that thought they didn't belong uh, in this tournament. Um, but again, those folks know that are doing this on the selection committee know there's a ton of talent in there and just whether or not they were building at the right time and, and getting kids who are these five and four and five star athletes who missed out on a lot of stuff because of COVID. They probably didn't get evaluated completely the same way. They might be overvaluated. So you might've had to work more with their mindset than with their actual physical ability. And I give Juwan and his staff a ton of credit for what they are doing and they're playing their best basketball right now. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. long duration of process for sure. Oh, those are a couple of great, great examples and, and stories that, you know, it's always good to remind not only our players, but ourselves as coaches, there's no microwave success. And so, you know, 12 weeks for some people may seem like a long time, but in the scheme of life and how long, you know, Kenny Carpenter has been playing basketball, that's just a a a small fraction of how much time and effort he's put into the game compared to 12 weeks of, you know, making 20,000, 20,000 shots. So it's great to keep that frame of mind and perspective as far as we're, we're continuing to build step by step by step, those 12 weeks that you put in, it's just a step. And I'm sure to, to finish your story, I mean, he can shoot it now, I'm assuming, right? He's playing yeah, overseas, yeah. maybe a yeah. stroke, I'm, I'm assuming, yeah. Yeah, he, he took his team uh, his fifth year. Gary and I were gone, um, fourth year, I guess, his senior year. I don't think he redshirted. Um, he took his team to the uh, championship game. They had a lousy season. Like, they were terrible the entire year. And he took his team basically led his team all the way through the horizon league championship to the championship game. They lost in the championship game, maybe to Northern Kentucky, who was the champion of the league that year. John Brandon probably, I think went on to Cincinnati from that, but so he was in that, that time frame. But if you'd have watched his last game, like I did, right. I'm watching on ESPN, like everybody else. And I'm, I'm just so stinking proud of this kid because he was willing his team to victory and making shot after shot mm-hmm. and playing well. And as you know, you alluded to this as right? Listen, if you're going to go and play abroad um, and you can't shoot it, well, then you better be like 
freakishly dynamic in some other way because that whole game is about you got to be able to make shots yeah, as, as we got to our where world is turning that way anyway right yeah the whole the whole game i remember um it's funny i remember being in germany and we were playing travis walton uh who played you know michigan state big state. 10 defensive player of the year and uh as we were preparing for that game our coach was like don't guard him yep. stand at the elbow if he's at the, at the wing, like just, you know, um, don't, don't guard him. And he, he was so good at literally every other thing that he still was able to be successful. But, but it's, as you said, if you can shoot, right. I mean, it, it's almost a necessity unless you're just so dang good at everything else. Um, otherwise you just know, no chance at all. Um, which takes us to the, to the other side of things, the defensive side of the ball. And you've had the chance to be around some great defense first, coaches throughout your coaching career if you were to talk to a high school basketball coach who's trying to build their team or maybe they may coach for a little while and they they want to step up uh, their their on-court performance what are some tips that you would give them to help build their defense well uh, you know every coach if you ever talk to them and, and get into say hey, tell me what's your philosophy every coach in the country is going to tell you i'm a defensive-minded coach i we're defense first in our program. And I, and I would probably say, and I might've wrote this down, um, let me see your first 10 practices and I can tell you whether you're a defensive coach or not. Because again, Gary, um, it's, it's just hard to, we, the defensive scheme that my boss used um, is, it, it's mind boggling for people to really truly understand. Um, and it, it takes a ton. So there are teams that are really, really good on offense, run great stuff on offense, and they play position defense. If you watch Tom Izzo's or no Tom Izzo's philosophy, right, it's you're going to guard the block and the elbow. If you go against a team who can make threes, um, they're going to give up contested threes. They're not going to give up layups. They're going to try not to give up layups. They're not going to try to not allow you to get middle penetration off the bounce, right? So there's there's a philosophy for everybody and everything, but um, what amount of time you spend, no matter what you say, right? No matter what we talk about off the court, your kids are going to know what, what you are passionate about is going to show up every day in your practice. And so if you say you're a defensive minded coach and you're trying to preach defense and you're telling people that, you know, this is the most important thing to you and your program, and then your practice plan only has, uh, 30% of the practice plan on defense, then you're not a defensive minded coach. You're, you're, you're saying it, but you're not really, you're not really imparting it. So that means that all of those things really become um, vitally important as to how do you train your players to defend, right? What things are you working on? And again, it doesn't matter to me what your philosophy is. Our philosophies might be different on how you close out, contest with one hand, contest with two hands, force and baseline, force and middle, Right. It doesn't that that stuff doesn't really matter. It's about getting your entire group to do those things together and being consistent and making sure that there is a priority to what you are saying goes with it. So here's what I always say. Right. So in, in life, everybody's got their coaching pillars or, um, you know, these are our five uh, foundationals or whatever you want to say. Right. We, we would just call them non-negotiable. And, and to me, I like non-negotiable because. It is exactly, it, there is no negotiating, right? So Gary, we were big on this in, in, in stuff that if you didn't do it, it didn't matter who you were. If you did not do what were non-negotiables, then you had to come out of the game. 
Like you didn't get playing time because you could shoot the basketball or because you could like you had to, and again, in college, let's be honest, there, there are, there's a little bit more. The college guys are responsible to win the game, right? That's their job is to win the game. Um, they're not responsible to um, graduate players and do all that other stuff because they're not going to, they're not going to get raises or get fired based off of whether or not those student athletes graduate or don't, right? They're only going to get raises in, in success based off of how well they perform on the court. So, so college coaches, you know, there's a holistic view to it. If you can think about how valuable it is to be um, good off the floor, it probably is a byproduct of being good on the floor. And I'm proud to have worked for a guy who, who in 24 years, we've only not graduated two kids. Both of those kids are millionaires playing either abroad or in the NBA. So I, those guys, you know, we don't have, Gary took great pride in it, but that was, listen, we graduated every kid at Cleveland State. Every single kid at Cleveland State graduated. But when you go back to back nine win seasons, you get fired. And, and, and sometimes there's a confusion for us as young coaches that we, you know, oh, to make it, I got to go win. I got to go win. I don't know how often this happens to you, but when people find out that I maybe meet for the first time or early on and you're like, oh, you were a college coach. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, man, man, I'm going to tell you, I was unbelievable with my seventh grade CYO team. We went 16 and 0. I mean, those stories are all the time, right? the church youth league, the junior high program, whatever. And, 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 you know, you just politely nod and go, yep, you know, it's great. And again, that's, I just, not to interrupt you, but I mean, I still get this all the time. As soon as if somebody hears I played basketball overseas, here come the stories of how good a high school basketball, <laughs> like one yep. of the most recent one I have was this guy who was, he's six one. And he was telling me about how great of a high school player he was. He was the big, the post player. I was like, well, I'm 6'3", and I was the shortest guy on my my team in Germany. Like, what, what do you mean you were this amazing post guy? You know, but it, it's it's just funny. But I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just oh, I know great. exactly. It's all the time. Well, it is. It is a it, it's the setup, right? Is that then you find that success and we like the success and we all like listen, none of us don't. We, we want to win. We're happy when we win. Our kids are happy when they win. Sometimes today's youth are just they don't care. They'd rather play against lesser competition and win and feel good than know that they're actually getting better. So we all come from a different paradigm, right? So you and I, we, we, were, we grew up in the same place, right? We're, we're a generation apart, but we grew up in the same place. We grew up where people were passionate about, about sports and athletics, and um, that's great. But we were just this small little group here in, in Unionville, you know, or, or Unionville Seabwing. And then there's another paradigm that's the greater thumb. And then there's a bigger paradigm that is, you know, maybe the lower half of Michigan, or then there's, you know, every paradigm continues to grow, but you got to start with where you are. You know, you have to say, listen, I, I was telling my, my, I was talking to my daughter about this. I was telling her doing this podcast with you. And, and um, she's like, well, you know, who's Steve Kramer? And I said, listen, in my opinion, the two best basketball players, really the three best basketball players to ever play at USA, in my opinion, my humble opinion, is Steve Kramer, Jordan Bitzer, and Mark Gangforth. I think the three of you, um, and I helped Jordan a ton 
his dad's a dear friend. I helped him in the process of recruiting. They were driving back after Jay had offered them an opportunity to go to Central Michigan. And they said, um, you know, we just told them we'd get back to him today. <laughs> and I told Scott, I said, yeah, yeah, stop the car, um, call him back, take, take it, right? 100%. You're getting a division one. No, no reason to think about it. Take it, right? And I didn't know if Jordan was going to be as good as he was. Because again, you're coming out of our paradigm. You see kids inside of our paradigm. I'm assuming, did you play for Mark or did you play for uh, John? Mark, yeah. So again, I think Mark is a really good coach. I played for John Madden, uh, who rest in peace, right? John passed away this past year, maybe a little bit over a year ago, but um, he, he was completely different than Mark. Um, John just let you play. He just, he was a complete encourager, let you play. Mark, I felt really taught you the game. And I was a freshman playing for Mark. He was our JV coach. First game of my freshman year, we're playing Mayville. And all he did was clear, had everybody run out to the left and I drove it to the lane and made layups. I made 10 or 12 layups and had 24 points in my first game as a freshman. And I remember coming back into practice the next day, feeling good, right? Feeling good about feeling, Hey man, I just dropped 24 in my first game. I'm feeling good. All I did was make layups. It wasn't like I made a jump shot. And he goes, yeah, Larry, we're never going to do that again. We'll never do that again. And he explained why. And, and, and it just, obviously right here, I am 53 years old. And I still remember that moment because it's an impactful moment about not my own success, about the team's success. And it wasn't going to make me a better basketball player. He was still thinking about how to make me a better basketball player down the road. So guys do this, right? We get in this mindset of trying to only win without um, real perspective on the bigger picture. Mark was great. Obviously, Steve, your career at Hope was tremendous. Um, most people, most young, young men and women who are in high school, um, they, they will come out of high school if they've had great success in their own paradigm, their small paradigm, and think it's going to be the same in college. And there's about, it, the, the number is pretty staggering, right? 69% of all kids who go out, go out, go in to play college athletics, 69% of them don't make it four years. Like it's a really high number. And this is, this is a stat from probably seven, eight, nine years ago. So it might be different today. I would imagine it's only worse. I can't imagine it being better, but just when you think about that, so really two out of every three kids that go to go to college don't make it to play four years at Hope, to play abroad and do the things that you did. People would think, oh, if somebody made the mistake and said, oh, he, he just played D3 basketball. I'd be like, hey, man, you um, you do not know how hard it is to play college basketball and then to play at a really good college basketball program. I mean, listen, your alma mater is hanging another banner for crying out loud uh, on the women's side, right? They want just won the division three. That's right. Uh, yeah. So girl, girls just won the national national title. Boys, boys won the, the league championship. They won the, yeah. the league tournament title this year. And uh, hope Bas as coach Morehouse said, in one of his interviews, when they asked him, you know, what something along the lines of what does it take to be a great D three team? He said, well, Going to be a great D three team. You have to have Division one and Division two players. And he looked at along the table with them, and he's like, "I think I got three Division one players sitting at this table next to me. Yeah. That helps." <laughs> That's right. Well, players, right? We we what did 
Krzyzewski say at the end of the uh, Duke Michigan State game, right? He he said that wasn't coaching. That was those, those were those players, and and to some degree, right? I can remember when Tom uh, Izzo lost. I think back in '09, uh, while it was here at the Final Four, he got drilled by um, North Carolina, maybe in the championship game. Yeah, I think it was the national was, title game. Yeah, and he was kind of whining. He's like, "Man, Duke and Carolina, they go shake the tree and and get four or five All Americans." He goes, "We have to build. We have to make our All Americans. You know, like we mm-hmm. we don't get." those high level five-star guys. But today it's changed a little bit. And that's what I mean, we were talking a little bit offline about some of the stuff. The coaching is changing. Mm -hmm. And so, right, there's kids out there today that watch the intensity and know what's at stake there. And they may not want that. They may, they just may choose an easier path, right? My dad used to say, man, you, you youth, man, you're like water. You just find the easiest path, no matter where it is. And that was probably because I was trying to get out of hoeing the sugar beets that day, but um, it still is, it's still a reality. You got to have good players. No question. If you're going to, to win, you have to have good players. You, <clears throat> let's put it this way. Um, if, if, if I don't care who the two coaches are. If, if your, your talent level is nine and my talent level is six, you're going to win. 10 out of 10, or you're going to win 20 out of 20 games, right? If your talent level is eight and my talent level is seven, now I got some things that that some of my coaching might be able to impact that game. And it's not game strategy. It's not mm-hmm. game strategy, right? So if you have a lesser team, so if you got coaches listening to this, if you have a lesser talented team, then you better be able to do three things. If you can't do these three things and you're the lesser talented team, um, you will be really hard pressed to succeed. One, you better play harder than your opponent. Like, so, so you're instilling that aspect. If you instill that with the mindset that you have to go play one of the best teams in your league to win the league, and you're building with that in mind, because there's going to be teams in your league. I just saw in the greater thumb, right? I think Vassar was Owen, whatever in the league. Like you, you don't have to have, you don't have to play harder to beat that team that year. But you're going to have to, if you wanted to go, I think it was a girls, Reese girls had a great year, right? So yeah, if you want to go beat the Reese girls you and you're lesser talented, you better play harder too. I'm a firm believer of this. You better teach your kids how to play tougher. Like you, and, and this is for sure a Gary Waters mentality. Part of being a great defensive minded team is you better be the tougher team because you have to come up with the 50-50 balls. You have to win the battle rebounding. You have to do the tough gritty stuff that are intangibles that help you win a game. And then third, then your philosophy comes into play. However, your, whatever your, whatever your philosophy is that gets your 10 or 12 to play more together in your philosophy, more united than your opponent, then you have a chance, right? But if you're not, if you're going to play and it's the vice versa. If you're, if you're, if you're more talented than your opponent, you don't have to do those things just more talented. The only thing that kind of offsets that a little bit today, watch a great upset. And I always go, whenever I see a great upset, I always like to go to see how many threes did they make? Yeah. Because you, usually that number is 12. <laughs> yeah. If you make 12 threes in a game, uh, when Sparty was playing against Duke, my, my dad uh, wrote uh, in a group text with, with my, my brother, my nephew, said, we need some threes. 
And then all of a sudden, right, end of the first half, yeah. and I kind of felt like we were in trouble. But Michigan State was going to be in trouble because we were 7 for 10 from the arc. Like Michigan State doesn't go 7 for 10 from the arc ever. Mm-hmm. And to think they're going to do it again. And they actually made some more threes in that game mm-hmm. in the second half, just not at the same clip. Yeah. And, um, again, Duke made some too. It's not like Duke wasn't making threes. They hit some big shots. That was a great game. They hit some big ones. Yeah. So there you go. See, see what happens, man. I get you. I got you turned on to. I got us talking about Michigan State Duke instead of the simple question about defense right from the get go. Hey, I, I like that. And it, it all translates to me. And, and so to repeat to our listeners, playing harder, playing tougher and play more together. Three great keys that, I mean, whether it's offense, defense, anything, that's great advice because, yeah, I was consulting with a high school basketball team this winter, and um, I was helping them with a press break because they had had trouble breaking pressure, and they knew they were going to get pressed a lot. And so I said, hey, I think this press break is going to help, and here's why. Some of the timing of it, cutters through, and all this good stuff. So – um, it's going okay, right? Struggle, struggling team. And about two thirds of the way through the season, I'm watching some of their game film. I see a different press break and like, okay, this is interesting. Let's see how this goes. Didn't go very well. They got trapped a lot and, and it was not good. And it reminded me of not only this, these three keys here, but a lot of times, I think, especially for young coaches, because this was a really young coach uh, as well, but we get so caught up in like a new strategy or this new play or I, I need more plays or I need more of this. And realistically, for me, sitting back and watching all this game film, it, it's not that you need something new. It's that you need to fundamentally execute what you're currently doing at a higher level because these other teams are getting better too and they're, they're scouting as well. And so it's not the strategy of what you're trying to do. It's the fact that we need to continue to practice handling the ball against pressure, handling traps, seeing the court, continue to work on our timing, continue to work on our pivoting and being strong with the basketball. And those are the things that are going to allow us to handle the pressure, not, okay, this didn't work. Let's scrap it, put something brand new in that our players have never done before. And now we're really, now we're really in trouble the last you know, six games or so of the season. And I think that can translate to defense, offense, anything. Well, it, it's a hundred, right? That goes back to the, the process of, right, development. And sometimes we don't know that about our team until it hits us, right? So we're working on the things that we know are traditional for us and have seen us be successful. And it, and then all of a sudden you start to see this weakness. I mean, I think you could say that, right? Tom Izzo has been coaching 40 years and the biggest problem they had with their team all year was turning the ball. Turnovers. It was a continuing. Last thing. few but years, I mean, really. Yeah. yeah. But, but again, let's think Tom has trans, transitioned his lifestyle to, or his coaching philosophy to, he now runs again. It's probably started back with Mateen to be honest, because Mateen was so good, but I think he really found something in saying, we're going to, we're going to, put pressure on you on the offensive end. And we're going to try to get you right away. And he's going to live with some bad shots in quick transition, but where he was always known, right. What's Tom Izzo known for, right. Tough defense, rebounding the basketball and set plays, right. Like genius in all of those things are really good, but the rebounding and like you just said, the process of stepping through a trap 
right? That's people don't look at that as being mastering the mundane because nobody wants to do that, right? No, they, they, you don't want to do it. So, so you don't put it into practice because the kids don't want to do it until they realize that it's going to really matter. And that's our job as coaches is to get them to understand that. Sometimes, right? Again, I'm <clears throat> a little bit old school um, in some things, right? I'll listen to what maybe somebody has to say, but in my mind, I'm always thinking, I'm not sure that there's an 18 or 19 year old kid that's going to be able to tell me why the drill is not a good drill for us, <laughs> right? Like I, I'm gonna lean on the fact that I think we have a little bit more experience. And so sometimes there's things that, yeah, we, we learn in our day and age today that we just go, yeah, thanks, great idea. Okay, let's go. And then you go back to what you need to do because you want to give them a little bit of a voice in it. But again, when you start to give those things and, and Steve, you're a parent, I'm a parent, right? I think every coach in the country becomes better when they become a parent. I think, I think it's a really cool aspect of how you look at life. The minute you first hold your son or daughter in your arms and you go, holy cow, I created that. My wife produced this, like everything in your world changes. Um, and, and I think that helps us as coaches because we see these, they no longer become um, pawns on our chessboard, they become real humans and real things. And that comes back to the reality of it. I, 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 this goes for life. This is a life suggestion. This is a marriage suggestion. This is everything you do with your kids as they grow older. Um, sometimes people laugh at me. I communicate, my daughter is married, lives in Iowa. I communicate with my daughter every single day. There's, there is rarely a day that I don't talk, text with my daughter. And, and same with my son who's in college because what fills the lack of communication? <clears throat> the, the, the lack of communication is not filled with good stuff. The lack of communication is always filled with negative stuff. And it doesn't mean it's intentional. It just means it produces mindsets that creates doubt. So our job as coaches, is if you can't communicate with your players, wow, you better have some people on your staff who can communicate with some players. And I don't know how you can do it as a head coach. And, and many times, it's why people become transactional, Steve, is because they don't want to invest the real time it takes to be transformational. To be transformational, you got to get to know somebody. So if you, if, if, if you and I, you're saying, listen, wait, I, want to, I want to become great friends with Steve Kramer. I'm going to become, listen, I want, I want to get to know Steve better. I know his dad. I want to become great friends with Steve. Hey, Steve, let me tell you about all the things I've done in my life. Let me tell you about all the accomplishments I have. Let me tell you, right? Nobody cares, right? What we want to know about is what are the weaknesses? What are the things, right? The stuff that gives us depth in relationships is exposing our own weaknesses. And in coaching, God, we hate to do that. We're afraid to do that because we think it's going to lessen ourselves. You can be a human and you can be a great caregiver and still be Listen, my, my, my kids, right, they, they know I love them. They don't love everything I do. Steve, maybe the greatest thing I've heard in a long time, well, there's two things. Um, the, the first one is my daughter, just maybe two weeks ago, she had, she's like, Dad, I got an important question for you, Dad. And, and listen, I do not want the dad that I want. I want the dad that I need, right? So this was a statement I used all the time while they were growing up. Yeah, 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 sure. Yep. So-and-so's dad might be a jovial, great guy. I don't know. I'm just trying to be the dad you need, not the dad that you want right now. Right. So 
to me, there's a, there's a definite difference, right? There's times when our kids are going to be mad at us because they don't know the difference. That's okay. When my two-year-old pulls out the, the Tupperware out of the cupboard, I'm not near, you know, okay, yeah, listen, don't do that, blah, blah, blah. When my two-year-old reaches up to turn on the burner on the stove, yeah, that's a completely different discipline than those two because he or she doesn't know better. We have to navigate that process for us as coaches. We have to figure out what things do they need and what things don't. My boss was intentional, Steve, like super intentional. This guy was unbelievable with our players uh, personally. And, and listen, they, they feared him and they loved him, right? They had, a, they had a both things. And it's because he was intentional. He could have his arm around a kid joking about the date he went on the night before, or the girlfriend, or she's way too pretty for you. And if that conversation carried them onto the floor, the minute he walked on the floor, he pulled his arm off and said, let's get to work. Like the conversation intentionally stopped because he wanted them to know there's a difference between where we are on this court, right? And this is our job and where we were before. And, and, and people would say, oh, that, that dude's a prick, man. Why, is he, why, why would he do that? Why would he treat people that way? That's called a life lesson. So you might have you might have, and this is what we would tell our kids. Yeah, you might have an awful day. Like you might have a really bad day. You might lose a grandparent or a parent or something that's real. But guess what? You're going to be expected to be at work. You have to be at work the next day or when that time comes, no matter how bad you feel. Because guess what? Now you might have a wife. Now you might have children who are responsible for you. So yeah, there, there's emotion and we can take our moment for that emotion but we still have to learn to work through those, those trying times. And so he didn't just talk about it. He tried to emulate it. When his mother passed away, he went to the funeral and then he drove back and made sure we practiced that night. Like he was sending a message to our guys. Like I love my mom more than anybody in the world, but this is my job and this is where we're going to be. So in, in some people today's day and age would go, Oh, that dude's sick, man. That's, that's dumb. That's stupid. Uh, he cared more about making sure he lived the message than just talk the message. And that would be another thing for our, for your listeners. Like, listen, you, you can't be, you, if you, if you're not in this to impact the young men in the world, you're going to impact them by the words you say, then your career will be short lived. If you're that guy who wants to get to the, get to the bar, to the club and live wild and do that other stuff, like, and that, that will come out. <laughs> Wildness off the court shows up on the court, no matter whether you're a player or you're a coach. Mm -hmm. So I would, I would encourage that for sure. Being intentional. I love the, I mean, just some great life lessons right there. And for our listeners, I mean, I'd recommend go back the last 10, 15 minutes and uh, listen to coach to break a little bit of that down because I mean, that's very much a coach them hard, love them hard philosophy of the game and you can do both. And I would argue that you can coach kids harder and you can get more out of them when you show them you care and you show them how much you love. It's not, well, if, if you know, we just kind of push them a, a little bit and kind of be, be their friend, you know, and so we kind of be buddy, buddy, but are they really going to push it? And if I let you know, I love you. I care about you. I want what is best for you. 
And that goes back to being the parent as well. And so because of my experience and living and breathing this game, I have some things that I truly believe are what you need to do, even if they're not what you want to do. Are you in? You want to be the best that you can be? You want to be able to have the best season as, as a team that we can be? Roger that. Okay. It's time to get to work. Let's go. And uh, I think we get a lot more out of, out of kids when, um, you know, we coach them hard and we love them hard. And that's one thing that I found with the really, really great coaches that I've been around. Um, they have the, the transactional and the transformational almost at the same time. They, they really go, go hand in hand. And we, we get more results when you know, we're really being transformational first and showing the kids we love them, we care about them. That's great stuff. Um, as we finish out the podcast, I wanted to do a personal one and ask you about my dad. All right. Um, playing, ask you about my dad real quick. Um, and this has been fun. You're welcome back any, anytime on the show. Um, Cause we scratched, we just scratched the surface of a bunch of stuff. I had a bunch more things I could even ask you about, but um, so my, my dad, I remember him playing, tagging along with him to some men's leagues and some three on threes. You actually remember, I mean, you're playing with them, playing against them, all that, all that fun stuff. What was, what was he like growing up? Well, you, you, your dad was a um, really, really good basketball player. Um, again, sometimes our paradigm limits us. It, it, it sometimes, it, it, and again, when your dad and I grew up playing in college, and again, from farm communities like we were, I'm not, I, I don't know, you know, you don't know if, if even playing is going to be something. I mean, listen, USA, if USA played Akron Fairgrove, USA would beat Akron Fairgrove, right? A uh, uh, hundred out of a hundred times. No offense to, to Todd Kramer, but we would have, right? It just was such a small school. It was so small that they might've, if there was three Todd Kramers, it'd be a different story. But, but your dad was, um, two things that was always amazing about you. Your dad had an ability to score the ball um, that most people would think it was just like, again, we didn't have a three-point line. So if your dad had a three-point line, it would have been even a greater thing. But your dad was not just a perimeter scorer, but he was a gifted, crafty scorer. He has what we would call that old man's game, even at a young age. He just he wasn't overly athletic. He wasn't overly fast. He wasn't, but he was crafty. He was smart and he just had such a soft touch. But what I remember about your dad, maybe more than anything else was he just was, he was so happy to be in on a team. He was, and it didn't matter. It could be the, we could be playing three versus three at the park or four versus four. We could have been at Bay Shore playing on the old under, you know, the outdoor one way in the back where the rim comes off the wall and all that. It, it didn't matter. We were just happy to be playing and playing together. And he was a phenomenal teammate. Now, I didn't know him in high school. Um, I don't remember him playing. I didn't see him ever play at the same time. And I would say your dad is, how old's your dad? I'm going to say, is he 50? 57. Seven? Yeah, so I'm 53. So we would have just, I was just coming into high school when he was just, um, just like maybe 19, 20 years old. Um, you know, your mom and dad were living in, in, uh, right there in Unionville, um, in those apartments, right, right when you turn right to head towards Seabwing. And, um, yeah, many times I came to pick him up and you were screaming in the background, brother. Screaming. 
And so I, you know, again, I was 15, 16 years old, right? What most of your people won't know is that, you know, when you live on a farm, you get to have your driver's license when you're 14 uh, because it's called a farmer's permit. So I was driving and picking up your dad going to the park. And if it might have just been him and I playing one-on-one, could have been two, you know, that was one of the things I always did as a player was I just always organized games, pre-cell phones, no texting, right? You had to call people, legitimately arrange the time, all that stuff. And your dad was um, so willing. And, and the other thing that should be really talked about in this is, and we mentioned your mom a little bit at the beginning, but like your mom is just one of those really, really, I mean, God had a great plan for those two. I mean, just really, because it could have been really easy for her to not want him to go. You know, it could have been like, I got this screaming baby back here, right? And you're going to go do what? (laughs) You're going to go play basketball with this little nerd? Like, (laughs) seriously, like, what are you doing? But your mom never, never, ever once felt that. Never, never even an inkling. And again, I might've just been a dumb kid and maybe I wasn't paying attention and missed some of those cues in there. But I, your dad was, your dad played as a teammate the same way he cared for you and your mom. Like, like he just really enjoyed being a part of that process and, and how he's carried that over into his life is come on, man, what, what, what you and I get to do, we're, we're, we're talking about basketball and trying to help kids get better. Uh, Your mom and dad's are mom and dad are saving lives in salvation. Like they're, their ministry is um, it pales in comparison. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously I love your, your family dearly. I I follow, uh, I followed your career. I I, I was a little bit involved with Micah and his process to try to find a place and just, um, you know, your family, I don't know your brothers. I don't know you that well, uh, but um, it's, it's pretty easy to see. Steve, like when you look at all five of you and the success that you've had and right, just like in coaching, let me take it back to coaching for a minute. I would say this, but every team ends up resembling their leader. Teams resemble the leadership. So, right. If you're that wild guy on the sideline and you're surprised that your team is playing wild, <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't shock you because that's how you're coaching. Same thing for us in life right? You're, you, you resemble your dad. I hope to God the greatest compliment anybody could ever say is, boy, you're a lot like Carl or you're a lot like Marilyn um, because those, those influences, those people in our life, we want to take after those characteristics. And at the core of what you're doing, you're using your gifts to help kids get better and giving them and coaches an opportunity to understand this game is so hard. It's challenging in so many ways, but if you don't have foundation in your own life, it's going to come out hmm. in, in, in your professional life, whether it be coaching. And if it's coaching, it's even harder because now you've got influences underneath you, hmm. right. That are young influences. They're not your age, right. If you're just failing in your job, you're talking about maybe other adults, but in coaching, you are influencing people. And that's what I would go back. If I could end it with Todd, I would say that dude had a major impact in my life and how I looked at the game of basketball. Yep. I just wanted to play. And I was thrilled that I had another good player to play against every time, but his overall, who he was, how he played, how he was a teammate. 
always stood out. And he was good. He was good, Steve. That dude could that dude could play. Yeah. He just happened to be five foot eleven ish. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, you know, just tagging along. And as I got older, he was still playing because they had me so my parents had me. I was not expected, but I came along. So uh, being young enough to see him go to the Gus Macker three on threes and the men's leagues in Bay city playing with Mark and Zimmers and bones. And I apologize to our listeners that are listening in like Washington and California and in other parts of the country, you don't know some of the details that we're talking about, but that's all, that's all right. Um, But anyway, my, my dad was, he, he did have a, there was always, he was having fun. Like he was just glad to glad to be out there. So on top of, um, you know, him being good. I, re- I remember at a young age, watch my dad play and be like, Oh, he's like one of the best guys out here every time. Um, but also how much joy that he had playing the game. I think that's what rubbed off on me. And it's probably why a big reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is because I had, I just had such a great experience playing basketball from a young age through high school. I just wanted to keep doing it college overseas. That's the, I just want to keep doing it some way, some way, somehow. And hopefully that can rub off in a positive way on all the other coaches and the players that I get the chance to chance to work with. Now, if basketball or something had a positive impact on your life, you want to share the sugar. Like you want, you want to pass that along and make it a positive impact with somebody else. And, you know, coming back to you, I'm sure uh, your parents would be very proud of you and everything that you've done and, and your career continue to do everything that you stand for uh, and all the strong relationships that, that you've built and um, continue to build. So I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on the coaches edge podcast uh, to our listeners. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Um, thank you. Get after it today. And uh, I'll leave the last words uh, to you, coach D. Well, I'm going to put a shameless plug in. Hang on. Um, this is a great book. My, my boss wrote it. Um, the 10 principles of a character coach, uh, you can get it on Amazon. I'm sure as well. I actually, um, it, it's just, it's, a, it's really got great stuff for again, right. Character, right. The stuff we were talking about is uh, really important. So uh, I, I'm sorry if I, I kind of threw that shameless plug out there on you, Steve, I didn't mean to, uh, but I always like, again, I think Gary's retired. He's, he's got this one book out. He's writing another book. He does a ton of counseling and um, would always be willing to help if people had it, right? So if anybody ever wants to reach out, information's in there. You can find it. You can find me at crossroadsleague.com if anybody ever wanted to um, look me up or find anything. I'm always happy to help because what it really means is, is just like you said there, um, people have given to me right? I'm just this, I literally, I spent my life doing two things, right? I worked on the farm and I tried to play hoops as often as I could to get off the farm, right? I'm just a farm kid from, from the thumb of Michigan, but I was gifted with being around really great people. This guy, nobody maybe more important in the profession than this guy. And, and he taught me a ton about the game. And so what we find is we get to the other side of our careers. I got to coach collegiately for 30 years I've got to be in NCAA tournaments I've gotten to see get kids go on and play in the NBA I mean there's a lot of really fun amenities but at the at the very core of it is somebody helped me right so if if I can help somebody and I guarantee you Gary would be the same way if we can help you like just man just you can always reach out we'll always try to help because people have given too many good things to to us um, in there. And so that book is chuck full of just really good characteristics, like being of good character 
is really a foundation, right? It's what you want from your teams and everything else, but it's a good place to start. Might be worthwhile. Um, and again, all that information's in there. And if you ever need to get a hold of me, it's just crossroadsleague.com. It's just go to the contacts. It's got all my information in there. Um, as, as, as from our, from our league, you know, it's obviously, that's what I do now. I don't know if we talked about that, but now as the commissioner of the Crossroads League, that's um, where you can find me easily. I'll be sure to put uh, some of that contact information in the yeah. description of the podcast below. And uh, I'll be sure to buy that book. I'm sure we'll have some other coaches that are listening. They'll check that book out uh, as well. No, no doubt about it. So coach, thanks again for being on the coach's edge podcast. This was a lot of fun and um, I'm sure not the last time that, that we'll be chatting. So thanks for taking the time. Man, my pleasure, Steve. Thanks so much for the invitation and uh, best wishes uh, tomorrow night for sure.